Well, um, if you are poor, stay away from Tom Segura's bag at any airport, at any uh, place where I guess he's carrying his bag. Because he will carry on about how poor you are. Um, (laughs) And be like, uh, you know... uh, I guess it all started where he uh, was at an airport and some lady doing her job told they had to check his bag or had to told him or told him to, you know, check his bag for anything or whatever. And I'm sure there's more details without context that maybe what he's truly upset about the whole situation. I have a hard time believing anyone would get mad. When you go to an airport and they're like, hey, we got to check your bag. It's like pretty understood. I have a feeling there has to be more. But he went on Twitter and uh, said, it's always essentially people that want to abuse their power. It's like, you know, that's why you're poor. And that's why you are doing your job because you're poor. It's your mindset. You're poor. And there were some allusions to it back of how he truly felt about people who are poor. Now, when he was talking about previously on his podcast, is he went on a long, real in-depth, like genuine rant about people who get insecure or get mad or feel the type of way when he shows off his cars or shows off his money. Not even showing off, but... When he lives his life or the things they talk about is very rich people problems. It's like, yeah, those are people's problems, right? People that are going out of their way to comment, talk about stuff, even though you put it out there publicly. So you got to understand, like, look, there's going to always be people that, you know, have an issue with you or feel like you're out of quote-unquote touch. Whatever the fuck that means. Um, I think a lot of that stuff's kind of weird because it's like... Pretty no, I'm not out of touch. I'm actually just in touch with my current reality, and I can't relate. But, anyways, I'm not trying to defend him here. Now it sounds like I'm trying to defend him, but no. But when someone is just literally doing their job, right, and you want to go out of your way, especially with the amount of people that you know follow you. And make yourself come off as a real douchebag. Because he made the emphasis not how upset he is about... Everyone's upset about TSA. Everyone's upset about the airport security stuff. But for your emphasis of your frustration and your way of taking shots at someone... It's talking about how poor they are. When chances are 80 to 90% of people that show up to your shows or watch your stuff... Are people who, as you say, people who don't value their time. People that value their time are probably not going to listen to you and Bert. Literally just show up to an episode, have nothing prepared, and just talk about shit. Damn, sounds like I'm talking about myself. But, um, (laughs) where you guys are notorious for banking 8 and 10 episodes, months and months of advance, just so you have shit to put out there and people will consume. And those people that consume your stuff... Don't value their time. And the same as the point you're trying to make here. Is that 
try when there was he's going back and forth with a bunch of people that had something to say. He's like, you know, you're just exposing that. Essentially, summing it up, I don't remember the exact words, but poor people essentially don't value their time, which is why they always remain poor. They never get mad at nothing or demand that things be done correctly or that their time should be more valued. And it's like, well, for what you do for a living, comedy and podcasting, it's a leisure extra activity. If people, if your audience is essentially people who don't value their personal time to that extent. So if that is the case, then I guess if we just all want to start listening to Tom Segura and we start valuing our time, then I guess everyone should just stop listening. Two bears in one cave in your mom's house. Hey, because I'll be honest, I've never really watched a Your Mom's House full episode because you know what? Well, it's a waste of time listening to a Your Mom's House podcast. Listen to 40 minutes of fucking advertisement before it actually gets to a guest. It'll be like a two hour and 50 minute podcast. You'll click it because it'll say guest. And it'll be like an hour of just them, you know, doing whatever on their show. And then they do like 35 minutes of advertising. It feels like it. It is just one big advertisement, which is the same thing they bitch about cable companies and all this shit. Oh, everyone stop watching cable because you guys on the radio were so worried about advertising. And guess what? Then now they do a podcast, make a shitload of money. And guess what they do? The same things that the radio stations that they used to have to go to to promote their shows did and bitch about that. And now they're just turning into the same people they hate, It's at, but it's actually at a larger scale with much more individual influence. And at least you can make the argument in the radio station, they're very considerate of people's time because they get through shit. They have to answer to people. They have to keep audience retention. While you're just like, hey, you guys have to listen to this eight-minute advertisement about Athletic Greens, even though I didn't fucking take it. You have to listen to another five minutes about better help. You have to listen to another thing, uh, which is, you know, they all just you know, share the same fucking advertisements. There's nothing unique about these advertisements. Um, but, yeah. I don't know, I just kind of find it odd that it's not, you know, I don't even think his situation is a situation where, like, he's gotten too famous or too big. I think it's a situation where Sometimes uh, people in true discontent when things have been going so well for them, which a lot of life's been going pretty well for them, um, they get to a point where they just feel like they understand life and they understand how life and how the real world works and they understand all these things a whole lot better than everyone else who's not as successful. Just, you know, here's the thing about when you're successful, this is just my point of view. I'm not successful in that sense at this point in my life. But I think there's this thing that just because you're successful doesn't mean you've cracked the code on what makes life the reality it is. Like, you know, there's philosophy of life and how to live your life. And then there's also 
the life the way it is because of just kind of how currently as a society and over time we've developed and evolved into the way we uh, kind of function. Um, not everyone is poor for the same reasons. It's not all because of mindset, you know. And look, in most cases, it is typically due to decision making over time. It's no accident for the most part that someone is like complete dirt poor and like there's probably more likely in most cases things that people could have done to be in at least a better situation. But the problem with people that have this where it's one thing to think that, but to actually think that I'm going to post and be a dickhead then double down, triple down and he honestly probably feels like it's not going to affect anything. In reality, it's probably not. People are still going to show up to his shows. And what he's probably going to do is try to say, oh, I was actually just uh, checking public outrage and see about cancel, you know, uh, what would it take for them to cancel comedian currently? And, you know, it'll probably be like some experimental stuff, you know. Hey, stop it. And, uh, God fucking damn it, this cat. No. Sorry for interrupting my monologue, but the fucking cat, stop it. God damn, you know, the, you know, that's the thing with these, when these cats start to like you, they just want to fuck up and get, they want to sit in your fucking laptop and your transfer file. They just want to make you uneasy when you're trying to work. See, this whole, like, work at home shit, it's absolutely not. Well, it's all crazy. You know, now I know why people rent studios absorbingly. It's like, you know, I don't have to worry about a cat moving my fucking camera off center. Or sitting on my laptop, potentially having to fall off the kitchen counter. And that's why I put on a towel so it can have a soft landing. But you know what? Fuck me. Um, But yeah. This is a pretty long monologue. But yeah. I guess more of all that is, um, you know, hey, Tom. Poor people check bags. Rich people don't have to check bags. So, but without these services that would require people taking positions so to make things more convenient for you, you really think someone who's making $300,000 a year is going to voluntarily check your bag? Probably not. And this obsession with people, other people's mindsets. Stop worrying about what other people's mindsets are. You know, they weren't there spreading the gospel. They weren't there spreading about their uh, thoughts on the world. They literally just like, hey, we got to check your bag, sir. And you want to go on Twitter and kind of make an ass of yourself, whatever, you know. I don't know, man. But yeah. Just goes to show that success does not necessarily mean that you know everything about everything. So, I don't know. But yeah, welcome to episode 226 of the Often Be Podcast with Clint Nelson. I'm your host, Clint Nelson. Don't forget to like, follow, comment, subscribe, hit the notification bell. Most important, ladies and gentlemen, don't forget to suck some titties. I forgot to say that in the last episode, but don't worry. Well, yeah, but don't worry. I uh, fit it in. <laughs> uh, recording this on October 8th, I believe. 
Um, recording this on October 8th, 2023 at 5.36 a.m. Eastern for the archives one day when I get my own archive channel. It'll be bigger than ESPN archives because let me tell you something. I am the worldwide leader in sex. <laughs> uh, you know, they say the number one... Uh, un- the number one indicator of someone who's unfunny is they always resort to extreme sexual behaviors like uh, dick and gay and pussy, you know. And I say, then what do funny people refer to? Seems pretty much the same if you ask me. Um, it's always the default. You know, extreme things are always the default, Right. Uh, which, uh, speaking of extreme, um, so for the past couple years, actually I didn't do a review for her loss, but I did do for albums that I care about by artists and obviously Drake, the biggest artist in the world. Well, except for Taylor Swift, apparently, um, (laughs) you know, I thought Drake was. But apparently, like, Bad Bunny has, like, 300 million followers and all this shit. And Taylor Swift is, like, taking over, you know, a sport that, you know, used to make me feel like I was 15, young and alive. And now, uh, I just feel it was all for, damn, what's the name of that song? Yeah, I don't know. But, yeah. Um, but so Drake dropped for all the dogs, right? I did a podcast probably like three weeks to a month ago where I got a false alert that the album was dropping on September 22nd. I thought it dropped that night. That was a surprise drop. And I checked it didn't drop. I made a whole video about, hey, Google alerts, whoever intern said, hey, uh, it's here. It's like, that should be an automatic Automatic termination, but you know, honestly, I think I should be able to sue for some money because uh, for it to be pushed back, and then not only pushed back to a date, but then be pushed back till 6 a.m. And then I was like, fine. I was up doing stuff. I was like, you know what? Any any time the Drake drops, you know, it typically is a good night. Things typically go well. So it finally. Became six ish a.m. and I was like, "Don't listen to this top to bottom." So I play it on my headphones while I'm like, I have it pulled up, but I'm still like reading some stuff. But I'm pretty locked in, and I'm listening track by track, and I'm like, "Okay, this is interesting. This isn't bad. This is okay." And then it would just kind of. The same. I was like, okay, like, it's not that it's bad. It just feels like, it just started to feel like an album that, uh, when you listen to, like, an unknown artist, and they have, like, nothing to really talk about, but they're good by default. And I was listening, like, okay, there's not really many memorable lines here. There's no memorable choruses. The instrumentals are, uh, okay. 
And then it got to the J. Cole track. First person to shoot. That's when the album started like, okay. All right, the back and forth is like, okay, shit. Like, maybe this is like a tie turning. Because I remember when I listened to Certified Lover Boy. It was kind of a slow build. There was a lot of like, mm-hmm. Then it started to hit a couple tracks. Like, okay. Now we're starting. Like, you start to feel the album changing. So I'm like, okay. This is what, for all the dogs, he gets to track six. Then after that, you know, I, I don't even remember. Because a lot of these, I, I guess I'll spoil A lot of these songs just kind of sound intertwine them like they sound very loose they sound very i don't want to say lazy but it sounds like he's trying to appease something but it doesn't really you don't feel even the audience that he would be appeasing and about ha- I, once I got like halfway through the album, I still had it playing in the background, but I was kind of up doing stuff. So it was in the background, but I wasn't really in it. And then like, you know, I would hear a couple like nice instrumentals and, and he, w- I would like his flow on certain things. But I'm going to be honest, man. Um, I-, I wouldn't even say I'm disappointed because I can't really give a review, but I can say that the shit was... It- over time, I lost interest in the album, which is something I can never, I can't say I've ever had with a Drake album. And I think that's what you you be when I be seeing people's reviews and uh, thoughts and reactions. I think I'm starting to get a similar feel that like it's like it's not that the music is trash. It's not that his bars were trash. They seem very safe in a lot of cases they seemed very well with the exception of like ADM and Charlotte and a few things like okay like I see he got his soulful like singing bag like you kind of you felt a few songs had reminiscences of that singing oh do you um (laughs) like the take care slash the um kind of the very old, like the 2012-ish Drake, where he drops in, like, oh, oh, and you felt that, but there was still a passion to it, and it felt like a lot of these are pretty soulless, like, you don't really feel, and, but the thing is, is, yeah, you can't even be mad, because he gave us a lot, like 23 songs, I actually like it when big artists, when you're waiting, give you a lot. Like, I think people are like, oh, I just want to hear the best 11 and 12. It's like, nah, I kind of want to hear like 23. Because if I'm going to be waiting a year, year and a half for something as big as this, I want the year, year and a half to be worthwhile. And I don't know. Like, the thing is, I'm kind of, I don't even know how to describe it. It's really puzzling, like, you're just kind of listening there, and you don't have much of a reaction to what you're listening to, bad or good, like, there's no extreme feeling, it's all like, which is almost the worst film, when you get to a point where it's almost like, I just don't have an interest in this. Now, a lot of people say that I've certified Loverboy. 
And when I did the album, I actually, <laughs> this is back when I actually, like, you know, prepared, like, the man. I actually sat down for, like, a day and a half, went through every single track, and wrote down, like, notes for every single song, and I actually went on the podcast and did it. And, and read off the notebook and all that shit. It was probably boring-ass listen, but I was actually proud. I did a rating. I did all that shit. I like doing those album reviews because it makes me sit down. And it's relaxing. You actually get to critically think about what you like, what you don't like about songs. And I don't even know if I... I'm pretty sure I might do it just for some views, to be honest. Well, he needs to go back to more of the style of views. <laughs> I used to think that the Views album was kind of weird and I didn't like it. But now, like, actually re-listen, it actually is a lot of replay value. Like, a lot of songs are catchy. And I think the thing is, like, when an artist you feel like is kind of veering away from that intensity version of themselves, that tenacity, that quote-unquote dog in them, that, like, they still got something to prove, and they get to this point where he talks about how much he's the GOAT in this. It's like, yes, I would like to think Drake is one of the greatest of all time, but you can't keep saying it in an album that's underwhelming that doesn't really show that that's, that this is your best evidence of why you're the GOAT. And it feels like the more someone has to tell you how much the GOAT they are, it almost feels like it's like, huh. It's like, what, what, what do you have to talk about? Which kind of brings me to, I guess, my next thoughts about Drake in general now. And it's something I kind of was denying for a while. But I, I think it's kind of undeniable. It's kind of pretty evident. I, I just don't think he... I think he's too desensitized to any personal problems he may have to his problems are now on a different scale in terms of they're mostly like so up there in terms of how great his life is that his problems are very obsolete and so that feeling like let's say people want the emotional Drake the talking about Hooters from Peachtree always reminiscing about a girl in his teens that feels like she didn't give him the time of day, but let him on, and he feels that, and he feels like, man, like, we're meant to be, you know, and all that shit. I think the reason why, like, Drake just doesn't make that, because he doesn't have that in his life anymore. It's the opposite. It's more, he's in a different place where there's no girl that's gonna do that shit to him. So he gets anything and everything he wants. And when you kind of don't have to fight for anything, when you don't have to like work for, you know, someone because everyone wants you and you almost going to be on the defensive about everything when it comes to woman. So that's why, like, we hear life as negativity, quote unquote, where, you know, he has a lot of, you know, angst towards hoes and bitches and all that shit. But reality, realistically, he's just kind of the part of Drake. We're never getting that part of Drake again, I guess we're saying. But what's inexcusable is the fact that there there were just not many like pure just rap, good, melodic songs here. And most importantly, there's a lot of like weird titles. Like I never thought the title Santa 
would be on a Drake album in any capacity. This is like this song called Santa 7869, 79s, I don't know, it's some weird shit. And I was listening, I was like, you know, this seems like a track that they didn't know what to name it, but because he's just dropping bars up the bars, they're just like, put whatever, and it has like a weird name, like, okay. Clicked on it, and it was not exactly that. Um, he came off as corny in some places. I'm not here to call Drake corny, but in terms of like some of like Claudia, Monty, and Plania, and a pack of like sardines. It's like when he said pa- pack them like sardines, I'm like, oh god. I was like, oh no. You're doing that on a song. That J. Cole is on. You're mentioning sardines. You can't have sardines really in any song. There's no place where sardines is an acceptable analogy, word. I don't care what it connects to. But you god fucking can't have it. With the song. With J. Cole. Where he snapped and washed you. Like, it's weird, you know, I actually, you know, and I was thinking about this, right? I think Drake is a lot more comfortable just when it comes to just writing raps and music and like just pure like bars, the ones we like. I think he's a lot more comfortable just featuring on someone's song than he is having his own song and rapping on it. Per se, like, because I think he has this fear that everyone just expects all this versatility and all these things. He's got to check all these boxes. And I get, yes, there's that pressure. He knows more about, based off these probably studies of, you know, the algorithm, what people react to, what makes Drake Drake. And he's even on the record say he will never make a top to bottom, just pure rap album. He said he will never do it. He has said he would want to make a top-to-bottom R&B album. But his R&B songs now are even like, you know, that kind of lane. The Party Next Door song I actually did enjoy. Um, It was actually kind of, it kind of, it had a lot of Come and See Me vibes. Like a lot of, you know. Actually, it had more of a Since Way Back type of, with him and Party Next Door. Like one of those vibes. And he didn't have, like, the crazy outro to the album like he always has on his albums. And I don't know. It just kind of feels like the Drake autonomy. I think next time Drake drops, it's not going to be, like, this big. It's not. I shouldn't say it's not going to be big. It's not going to be this big, like, Drake is dropping tonight. Everyone stop what they're doing. I think it might be one of those, like, you know. We'll listen to a couple songs and then, you know, we'll listen to it throughout the week, maybe. I'm not saying he's falling off by any means. I am saying, as a Drake stan, I got to admit, um, my hope for this is that it has a lot more replay value over time. Because Certified Loverboy had that, but... Here's the thing, like, with the replay, you know, maybe it just takes more time. It's like, you still know off the first listen if, like, this album catches your attention. Even if you're like, okay, I don't know if I'm catching it all, but I like the way the theme is. I like the progression in the album. I like the build up, the, the balance of things. 
and you're like, hmm, I kind of like this, but I'm not sure, you know, this part is kind of weird, but then over time, you're like, oh, okay. For this one, I just think there may be a lot of forgettable tracks. Like, overall, this may be one of his most underwhelming... I don't think there's going to be any real hits off this album, to be honest. I mean, Slime You Out was dropped in 8 a.m. in Charlotte in the J. Cole song, First Person Shooter. And I think all these other ones, it could be... They might make a few music videos, the one with Lil Yachty. You know, anytime it has like a big feature, maybe one with Bad Bunny. But I think overall, there's not going to be any headlines coming out of this. There's not going to be any take cares. There's not going to be any... Um, started from the bottom by any means, not even like a from time, not even a, like, I think honestly compared to her, her loss was like, it's going to age like really well. Her loss like has like a lot of just like bangers, like catchy bangers. And, um, this one just has a lot of, not much is getting my attention at first. There's a lot of things that kind of make it. A little boring and repetitive. Um, but I'm not in a position to like criticize Drake. But I guess that kind of goes into... So, actually, like Lily found like less than an hour ago. Apparently, he legitimately made a post to Joe Budden. Because I saw Joe Budden actually... I didn't watch the episode, but I saw... They posted the episode like a day or two after it came out. And basically the first hour and a half reading the timestamps and description, they're talking about Drake and the album. And I haven't heard their reactions, but I guess, and I think based off the album, I probably had a good idea that they were going to kind of can it a little bit and be slightly disappointed. I'm sure Joe was going to have some type of like, you know, benefit of the doubt for the time being for Drake because he actually does have a real affinity Regardless of his like diss track nine years ago. But I guess Joe <laughs> went in on it. And I'm pretty sure I have an idea of probably what some of the criticisms are. But essentially in the Instagram post. Which was like a fucking newsletter. <laughs> this man basically called Joe Bunn a quitter. And rap. He's a failure. He quit rap. And he's, he was kind of like sending a message to artists in the game. And how, how you should view critics. But even how you should view critics who once did what you did, but never even was all that successful. Even though Joe Bunn did have success. Now, obviously not to the level that Drake... But at the same time, like Drake, you could say that in defense of Joe, you could say that same statement literally about anyone. I literally anyone because then Drake starts mentioning I have a 767. He has a modest house. It's like, oh, he starts kind of going down that Tom Segura route of your, you know, don't listen to someone who doesn't have a 767. It's like, all right, Drake, like, I don't want to be that guy, but there's a lot of people that could give good advice that don't have a 767. All right. And just because you have one, you know, you've, you know, you've done some things in defense and as a fan that just because you have a 767 doesn't mean I'm going to take autonomous advice from you about everything. But when it comes to music, yes, okay. And when it comes to pursuing 
and becoming to the level of you are a rap. Of course. Um, but he eviscerates Joe, saying Joe basically projects his hate on artists based off his experience and what happened to him, per se. And tell him, like, hey, don't listen to these people that are failures in this and all this stuff. And saying he chose, he left rap to do this because it's the only way he could actually make a living. And not live check to check. And I may say he spelled he spelled check to check, I guess, like Canadians with the Q-U-E. So I guess uh, he was uh, checking the mic there. Um, <laughs> but it's like... I have a feeling when it comes, like, if I had to guess what Joe's response would be to the leaving the rap to do this, he would be like, yes, I fucking did. If you were doing something and you could make more money doing something else, you wouldn't. He would probably say it. And I think he would not. It's like, yes, Drake, you are infinitely more successful than me. You have everything I don't have. And all this stuff. But then Joe would probably throw a couple strays his way. You know. And I don't know what those strays would be. But knowing Joe. He'd be like you're right about this. You're absolutely right. But let's not forget when Kevin Lyles. He always mentions Kevin Lyles and everything. Um, But it just kind of. Uh, and I guess it opens you know, the floodgates for criticism and music in general, as I just kind of criticize loosely the album that I barely listened to. Um, <laughs> but I think it's very, because here's the thing, right? As much as people hate critics and criticism, which I wouldn't really call Joe Budden a critic. He does a podcast that's you know, it started as a hip-hop podcast. It's kind of transitioned to more of an overall cultural thing. Society, whatever that means. But it's still predominantly a hip-hop podcast. When big artists drop, when big when things happen with big artists in that industry, they typically talk about it. They talk about other things, too. And pop culture and stuff. But you have to do that to stay relevant in overall space like that. But, you know... Criticism, unfortunately, whether we like or not, is very important in every industry. The problem is is when the criticism starts not feeling like criticism and it feels more like a personal issue. And even if it is personal, there's still a way you can talk about things that may be personal but not make the person feel like it it wasn't used for good contextual use. And that's typically what, it's kind of like with sports. We have these sports debated shows, the first takes, the undisputed. And it's just this constant extreme criticisms to keep listeners and, you know, viewers engaged in what they're doing. So sometimes they do a lot of, they'll do a lot of yelling, extreme proclamations, exaggerated takes where it's like, yes, this is what I feel when I'm going to add a little sauce to it and be like, well, on top of that. 
Let's also not forget when uh, Zach Wilson was at BYU, he had an offensive coordinator that, uh, you know, wanted to date his mom too, you know. <laughs> um, it's kind of weird how like a year ago, Zach Wilson was like the fucking dude in the media. Well, like in the locker room and like the cultural medium, people make jokes about him sleeping with his mom's friend while he had a girlfriend and he was like secretly the man even though he was had like seven touchdowns and 11 picks was like hey man this guy <laughs> as this goes to show you just because you go to BYU doesn't mean he can uh be why into you huh yep and I don't think most athletes that go to those schools are actually the religion all right and that's fine I don't think Jimmer, who was from Glen Falls, New York, was Mormon going there. He was probably more, you know, Jewish and stuff from the Northeast. But, like, hey, you want to get up 25 shots a game, score 35, have 60-point games? He's like, how many people's houses do you need me to show up to? (laughs) That's not what Mormons do. That's Jehovah's. It's all relative. They all believe in something, but can't be very specific what they actually believe in. I don't know. Anywho, bear. But yeah. But criticism is very necessary. Um, Having people react and talk about your stuff is very necessary. Um, whether you find their opinions valid or not. Because it means that people give a shit about your stuff. Now, there's plenty of people that are probably going to have the same view as Joe. But he's not going to attack someone who has a thousand subscribers doing an album review reaction saying, man, this shit is trash and mid. He's on someone with a big enough platform who has talked about him every chance to get. And a part of also his post was they talk about you constantly so they can stay relevant. It's like, well... You're the biggest in the game, and everyone talks about your shit when you drop. This sounds like I'm like going against, I am not going against Drake, and I'm not necessarily defending Joe, or everyone that says his album is disappointing, but, you know, and it Seems like he's more on the defense because, you know, maybe this just kind of inside psychological thing. Maybe Drake's on the immediate defense. Like, your album hasn't even been out two or three days. Like, it's it, it's like if it was out for a month and people are still shitting on it, it'd be like, all right. Now it's like, hey, you know, whether you like my album or not, it's like, come on now. But, like, it's been out a couple days. People are still processing the album, like... Don't be reacting to whether every person likes or doesn't like it. But, you know, what Joe Budden says about your project is not going to affect it being number one or number two this week. Like, it's going to be, you're going to get all your money, you're going to get all your streams, everything you did. And, but yeah. Um, so yeah, I don't know. I guess go give the album a listen. Chances are you probably have if you clicked on this video. But yeah, so 
Uh, yeah, I will say though that Joe Budden format of like having five or six people. I don't know how they do it, man. I be telling Ice and Ish, well, especially uh, Ish, be getting annoyed as fuck when people be like interjecting in the point. Like it seems like it's almost like when you know. Someone gets annoyed when you do X, Y, and Z. You accidentally, because I doubt they're doing it on purpose. It's almost like you interrupt them more, you know? But that's the thing. When you do a show like that and you have five or six people on an active mic, and it's very important for everyone to be involved in the conversation. Because, you know, here's the thing that people don't think about. People always say they get annoyed when people interrupt on a podcast, and there is a level where people... It can get really annoying depending on the environment and how consistent it is. But if it was just one person always talking at a time, no constant reaction, no like immediate reaction that someone said for them to clear it up or to add on to it or to be like, wait, you really think that? Like, yeah. And then it opens up another conversation, especially when you're trying to fill on their show. They're at least trying to do two plus hours. They do two or three episodes a week. Like, feels like they drop every other day type of thing. And, you know, that thing, you know, you can look at it two ways, right? It would be very easy to be on that show because you, because it's like, you have all these people to carry the show when you don't have anything to say. It's very easy to have a conversation when it's already there and you just put your input. And then... It's also like, okay, well, I have to sit here, but I have to listen more than I talk. And sometimes listening can be very draining. Especially when people are over-talking, yelling, and all this stuff. And then there's the other side, where it's, man, like, this shit could be hard as fuck, you know? Always doing it the frequency they do and having it feel like man it's a you know it's a lot going on here right that's not the point i was trying to make but oh so like because like before as i was saying the the uh god oh yeah the talking the so many people it's like it could be hard because then it could be very easy because you don't have to do as much. But, oh, but like, here's what's, people always get mad about when the over talking each other and stuff. But it's like if you, it would be very un, I think people would get very bored very quickly. If it was just this person's thoughts and then this person, this that if it was just this one at a time where it's like there has to be like multiple people speak because they do the numbers they do the engagement numbers there's there's numbers out there it's so much harder to do a solo podcast and if you have a second person you could be having a similar conversation a person can actually be better doing a solo podcast be engaging be a better conversationalist. Have better thoughts. More concisive. But two people that are kind of like, eh, not great. But they could be a lot more easier to listen to. Because it's easier to listen to two idiots than one genius. <laughs> I'm not talking about me. 
But I'm just saying. I wonder how it would be. If like Joe Rogan just did a solo podcast. What that would be like. Where he's just talking to the camera. Talking about his thoughts. You know. Obviously with his experience. He would obviously be fine. Like he has no problem just talking. He does stand up. But. I wonder. Like when you're used to doing it one way for so long. As frequent as they do. Like how good. Would it be weird just for audience member. Like we wouldn't even know how to. Listen to the show. How the process. What's going on. There's It would be a different style. Why don't they just interview Jamie one episode? Like they've never had it. We're just like. A guest. Couldn't make it. And they're like shit. We got to record. Because we got to have that episode for Wednesday. You know. It's like. They either have to get someone. Well, I guess, see, when you get to that scale and your show, people being on your show benefits them a whole lot more than you do, it's not hard to get people to show up. So they probably never really run into that problem, to be honest. But, yeah, I just feel like that would be kind of a interesting. Which, speaking of doing a different style, it will happen soon. I will be interviewing a guest. I, I have a feeling. Just throwing this out there. I think for my birthday. I'm going to ask. I think for my birthday. I am going to have my first interview on this podcast. And. You know. See. You know. It will be my birthday present to myself. You know. And I think it's going to be fantastic. So. Watch out for October 19th. I'll be 28. And if you guys could give me 28 likes on my 28th birthday, I will make 28 cupcakes and send each one of you people that liked it a cupcake. If that sounds like an equal trade-off, then trade it. Um, <laughs> put that in your fantasy football trade machine. Um <laughs> But yeah, uh, I do love I do love doing this show. I do love it. There's a feeling you get when you do something you enjoy and you do it, regardless of how your days went. It's just something about accomplishing the thing that matters to you. You know, one of the most important things in my life is an accomplishment feeling. And you know what else confirms how good you feel? And it happened again, and I don't say this to toot my own horn. I say this actually because the more it happens, the more like graceful I am for what I have done for my health, my body. Is that it's like more and more there are guys, you know, at work and people that I see, you know, like I actually had someone today when I was clocking out for work. I was going outside and I was helping them with something and they're like, thanks. And he's seen me before. I've said, hey, but is, you know, it's always been just a nice passing, but nothing crazy. No, no conversation. Just, you know, sometimes there's nice dudes, you know, you fist bump, but you've never talked to them. It was kind of like thing like that. And all the way, he's like, man, I, I got to ask, man. You, you look like you work out three times a day, right? And I'm like, oh, oh. 
anytime I feel like a cat when you shake the treats when you say stuff like that, my ears perk up and I'm like, whoa, whoa, whoa. Time for me to tell you some unscientific truth. Um, <laughs> uh, my truth is the only thing that matters. Look at me. It works. Um, <laughs> I mean, I was like, actually, you know, my situation, I don't work more than two times a week at most. He was like, bro, you look, you work out like every fucking day. And I'm like, well, actually, working out every day actually shrinks your muscle. No, I didn't say it like that. I was like, well, I used to work out a lot more, about five days to six days a week when I was really like starting to get serious about this stuff. And then I found a sweet spot four plus days, depending on the week. But I notice when I've only been able to go as much as I have. It's been a lot more beneficial for my body. I rest more. I feel better when I go. I'm not fatigued. It gives me like an extra appreciation too. Sometimes when you do some too often, you kind of take it for granted. You're just like, hey, this is cool. It's like, but you know, I'll be back tomorrow. You know how that, but it's like when you can only go X amount of days, certain days, certain times. It really makes you plan and appreciate and make sure you're as prepared as possible when you go so you take advantage. It's almost like when you finally get that chance with the girl that you see all the time. And you finally ask her out. And you want to make sure when you do, you're looking the best, you're feeling the best. You know, you've, uh, you know, your, your body's primed up, you know. You got all the aesthetic pleasing stuff. Because you want to make sure you have everything you can control to be prepared to maximize the situation. And it would be a shame if you did it, right? If it matters to you. But what I was telling I was like, yeah, you know, can't give him a simple breakdown. Like, look, I'm going to be honest. I, I eat pretty simple stuff. Nothing crazy. I cook at home. Blah, blah, blah. It's really just about consistency. Having intensity when you work out. You know, blah, blah, blah. I don't want to get too much into that part. But, you know, you guys know what you need to do to put on size and strength. But the feeling of someone just seeing you. And they're like, bro, like, I want to do what that dude's doing. There's something about being in that position. And how people actually come to you for... Because they see that you bring value to them in some way. It's not about you looking good. It's about, man, like, this guy does something that I want. I want to pick his brain. I want to know how to bring that same value to myself, to better myself. There's something about when people come to you to do something better for themselves because you've shown you've done that for yourself. Which is not something... You know, I've always been in my life. But when you have that, it kind of brings you, not to sound gay here, but it kind of brings like a purpose to remind that why you do that. You do it for yourself. You do it for selfish reasons, some good, some vanity. But to have sometimes people come to be like, man, like, and actually be interested and listen and be like, man, like, you know. And then the most important, he's like, man, all I got to say is at the end, he's like, at the end, he's like, man, I really appreciate you giving me your time. In my head as I'm waiting for my girlfriend to pick me up. It's like, yeah, 
like I have no time, you know. Um, <laughs> he's talking to me like I like I had a limo waiting for me to take to take to the Hyatt downtown, you know. Like, hey man, I gotta go in eight minutes. You gotta wrap it up, you know. <laughs> it's like, nah, bro. I'm literally getting my shit out of locker, so waiting for, waiting to get picked up. Um, <laughs> but saying all that, there's something about when people come to you because you bring a value to them. You can bring something, a service, a knowledge, a feeling, and. You know, I think sometimes it's like, oh, whether you're having a bad day where you don't feel great, something about that always just like kind of reminds you like, you know what? I'm worth the shit, right? <laughs> uh, but yeah, I guess the moral of that story was um, shave your face and you'll look like a mole rat. And maybe I should change my hair to a mullet because it looks like a rat's in the back of my head. (laughs) Welcome to New York City. (laughs) The NYC, because I'm a motherfucking PIMP. But yeah. Uh, Today's sponsor, Duncan, whenever you want to sponsor me, remember, it's a free lifetime sponsorship for free. Why would you turn it down? You'll give these TikTok, you know, average looking girls, you know, $20 million deals to have them be the face of a drink that you already had made. You just rename it. And then for some reason, a 36 year old, you know, mom is like, oh, Dixie D'Amelio's on it. Actually, I think it's a Charlie drink. It's like, oh, now we're advertising. Coffee and extreme caffeine and espresso to 15-year-old girls. That's not irresponsible marketing. I wasn't even allowed to have coffee until I could buy it myself. Um, <laughs> but I was no, but I couldn't actually have coffee till I was like 19, or at least it wasn't like. I mean, I guess I could have just like went and got some, but. My, that's one thing my mom would never buy. She would give me like, you know, some gay frappuccino from Starbucks or somewhere. Some like extreme sugary vanilla culotta, which those things are sweet as fuck. Oh, my God. But, whew, so sweet. My tooth is hurting just thinking about sucking on that straw. I realized how that came off real quick. Ah, Jesus. Not again. But, um... Yeah, but, you know, now that I have a little bit of a attachment, let's just say the iced coffee, I realize, you know what, I think my kid, I'm not letting him have nothing. The only thing he's drinking is water and pre-workout. Um, <laughs> Imagine feeding your 12-year-old kid pre-workout when they're already running around with their shirt off. The first time I will introduce my kid to pre-workout, I want to surprise him. Be like, before his first, like, uh, for his, like, first, like, soccer match. Not basketball. You don't want to give someone pre-workout when they're just, like, running intensely. But, you know, soccer, you know, a little jogging, a little this. Give him before a soccer game. And especially if he's on the, you know, like, a midfielder. 
Every time someone comes across, the dude's just like locked in with the pre-workout. And he's just freaking headbutting people that come across. Just laying little fuckers out. Like, you know. He'll probably get banned for the league. He'll probably be the Vontez perfect of, you know, this little league soccer league. Just decapitating guys. Decapitating kids. Give them CTE. Um, that's nothing to joke about. But be like, why would your son do that? It's like, hey. It's not me. You know, I just gave him a little fury. You know, some watermelon fury. Ooh. And then they look at the dosage. just like, it says 12 and under. Not allowed. I was like, well, he's 12 and a half. Um, <laughs> so, you know, it's like, yeah, you don't give him two scoops. It's like, ah, look, I did 20 ounces. I do. I diluted a little bit. Um, <laughs> God, my kid on pre-workout. Um, but I'm going to get my kid on some shit. Don't worry. Not like on some shit. You know, because I'm actually not really for any extra shit, like, I'm not a believer in, like, taking creatine, I'm not a believer in, really, protein shakes, to be honest, I understand the point of it, but it's really kind of like a waste of money, you could buy, what you pay for that, you could buy, like, real food and get a, you know, more fulfilling growth, but I understand the point of it, I'm not anti it, but it's just, like, I, I just don't believe, regardless of how much money you have, there's no need to spend 200 bucks a month on supplements like that, to be honest, like, I think taking those, like, people that are taking seven pills, they're like, fish oil, omega-3s, vitamins, it's like, if you have to take that many different tabs, and uh, pills, and supplements, just to, like, regulate your body, I think it's, it's more about just the food you're consuming, to be honest, and your body's just very deficient in so many ways, you need to go to the fucking doctor, and actually find, like, ways to regulate that shit. Because I understand some things in society, like, currently, like, it's very hard to get certain omega-3s. It's very hard to get the amount of, cal- like, the amount of, you know, um, vitamin B, vitamin Cs and Ds that you would have to consume to get the actual amount your body needs. It's not always realistic. It would be an absorbent amount of food because of the unnaturalness and fakeness and food these days, but, you know, man, it just, there's just something about starting your day taking pills that just, it's just not right, I don't think it sets the tone right, like, if you're taking pills to start your day, it better be because you're recovering from surgery, you have chronic back pain for some, or, if you don't take it, you know, you're about to rip Scotty's head at work for, you know, being a nincompoop to you, but yeah, so I guess the moral of all that is, is keep your pills to yourself. You don't need the fish oil. And, uh, but, uh, for all the dogs, Drake need to take something else. He need to take some pre-workout before he gets in the studio next time. But yeah, that was episode 226 of the Off Beat Podcast with Clint Nelson. I'm your host, Clint Nelson. Don't forget to like, follow, comment, subscribe, hit the notification bell. Most important, ladies and gentlemen. Don't forget to suck some titties. And damn, the battery on this camera is getting lower and lower. These things used to record like an hour and eight minutes. But yeah, have a great day. Why are you dying on me?